Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. everybody everybody hi everybody this is uh carnivorous couch yet another episode of the spoiler full podcast especially this week do not pay any attention to the marketing materials or uh our podcast actually until you've watched this movie because it is one of those movies that you will not actually engage with as greatly if you know what's going to happen so spoiler full podcast this week project x which is a highly misogynistic 2012 picture. However, it's really great and really wonderful, and I, I like it. It's exciting. It it makes my heart smile, and definitely I knew people exactly like this in early college, high school. Anyway, uh, this is me, Rob, talking, and also we have with us... Brady Larson. Rob, you are just uh, gung-ho, man. Gung-ho? You're, no, no, I... We're gonna get into it, but you, uh, it sounds like, you know what? I'll I'll have plenty of time to talk later. I think we need to put you onto the plot synopsis because you sound pretty enthusiastic about this movie. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a really awesome movie. Uh, it's uh, of a Todd Phillips design or something like that. But um, you know, that aside, it's I, I saw this. Okay, I saw this in the Landmark Theater in Berkeley. I didn't know what I was seeing. I just saw this thing. It said Project X, and I'm like, well, sounds good. Starts soon. I guess I'll go see that movie. So we come into this first scene with this guy, Costa, who's like one of those overtop bro-y friends that you had in high school. It's just like, we're going to get some bitches tonight. We're going to get pussy. Everything's going to be great for us. because blah, 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 blah. But he's obviously like a total dork. Yeah, at the same time, he fits into that kind of, he's not an actual bro-y. He's a wannabe bro in a way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's exactly the case. And then he goes into his friend's house and he, he opens the fridge. He's like, ooh, birthday cake. He's like walking around like he owns the place. It's not his house. And he's like, yo, my, my dick's going to get so wet tonight. And then um, then like he closes the fridge door and the mom's standing there. She's like, your what's going to get what tonight? And he's like, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, d- uh, sorry about that. I thought you guys were gone. <laughs> so anyway, he follows up. Um, there's a person shooting the camera. The mom addresses the guy on the camera and says, who's your friend? He's like, oh, he's shooting like a day in the life thing for, you know, Thomas's birthday, blah, blah, blah. So we go up to the bathroom. He, like, barges in on Thomas in the bathroom after um, rubbing soap on his toothbrush. Uh, you know, just that kind of prankster dick who's like, you know, he's a dick, but you like having him around because he's a lot of fun and he's got bravado and, like, so it basically paints the character of him immediately, paints Thomas as the one that he bullies, you know, because all high school guys just kind of bully each other and push each other around. It's just like th- the kind of shit we're talking about with bullying nowadays is bullshit. Anyway, moving on, they're going to plan this party. Um, the parents are going like, yeah, we're going to take off on our anniversary. Happy birthday. Here's a minivan. Uh, there's definitely a line here of the parents don't necessarily care too much about him, like, there's that feeling, uh, and uh, it's really a visceral feeling that is uh, intended to be tied to how you feel when you're in high school. You feel like your parents don't give a shit. 
Um, well, but the movie. Some plays people, it more some than people might really have parents that seem really <laughs> loving and and don't feel that way. But yeah, when but I was in high school, I felt like nobody gave a shit about me, and I feel like that's a very common feeling about high school. Okay, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say the movie not only. It's not that it just hangs out there viscerally. We hear the dad describe the son as a loser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the privacy. And she's like, private is it okay that we're leaving him alone and blah, blah, blah? And also this movie takes – it's really hard to do the plot synopsis because it, you have to note all the things the movie takes special care to do. It takes special care to actually give a reason why we have the footage of any event. And in this case, it's the camera kid who's like – referred to as a goth friend, kind of sneaking and creeping in and getting a shot on the parents as they're talking about him as a loser. And he's just like, look, nothing is going to happen. There's not going to be a big party. Our son's a loser. Like, he's not going to do shit. So it's okay. So anyway, they go to school. Costa goes like, this is how you get people to come to your party. And just like texts everybody, walks up to people and goes like, yo, ladies, wear something tight. And like, you know, kind of drumming up buzz for this party. And you're like, wow, this guy's a total, like, if anybody did that to me, fuck it. But it works, as we find out in later scenes. Uh, first, we start with, uh, they go to get booze, and they get that taken care of, and they go to get um, weed from this uh, fucking crazy-ass Vietnam, psycho-Vietnam man. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was making a reference to uh, Brady's character in a film I made when I was in high school, which had an old psycho Vietnam man shooting his gun in the air and feeding the geese in the park. Anyway, um, <laughs> they go to him to get weed. They steal his gnome. He freaks the fuck out. And this is our first. This is our first idea where things break with the typical. Like normally, you're just like, wow, that really is high school. That uh, that really is kind of like suburban. Yeah, that's where I grew up. That's what I did when I was a kid. Um, but, like, then this old psycho Vietnam man, like, comes and busts their windshield. is like, chasing down the car in a foot race and all kinds of shit like that. And you get this feeling like, okay, so this does break a little bit with reality. Now we have the party um, after this school scene and blah, blah, blah. And, um, oh, yep. That, who's your favorite character who's in that? Oh, um, they meet him in the, uh, the supermarket. Oh, yeah, yeah. A cameo by Miles Teller. Uh, fantastic up-and-coming young actor who is... Absolutely terrific, nomination-worthy in this year's uh, The Spectacular now. Yeah, yeah. So um, he was in this movie as himself. He's like, oh, dude, that's Miles Teller. He's the guy who, like, fucking, you know, he's a legend. He's, like, banging college chicks while he was in high school or whatever like that. By the way, this movie is really misogynist. Anyway, um, so was high school. Um, <laughs> I mean, definitely, right? But, um... Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, no, I mean, I saw guys slapping girls' asses, and I kind of went like, what kind of fucking world is this? But anyway, uh, it's glad to know that the world isn't actually like that. I mean, it is, but it's not as much like that as the microcosm of high school would allow you to believe. Um, at any rate, they have the party. Kirby, kind of the next-door girlfriend. Well, okay, not girlfriend. Um She's like, no, she's the lifelong best friend. They have a scene at lunch, friend. yeah, where do they hang out. Like, she's the girl next door. She's, like, the lifelong best friend. She's the girl in the Wonder Years, that, like, Winnie. Like, you should always get with her. You, That was always the idea, but for some reason you think about the hot chicks who are yeah, popular. Except Kev Kevin does not end up with Winnie at the end of Wonder Years. Right, no, that's true. But, I mean, like, that was, like, it's that kind of role. But, yeah, yeah. Right, the girl who's always <laughs> around. Sorry. Who, like, you know, you both like each other, but because you've, grown up with each other since before feelings were derived by hormones uh it's awkward to kind of break into that new zone right right so anyway he talks with her at lunch and she goes like i'll give you your birthday present tonight blah 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 
Um, so anyway, we get home. We get to the Psycho Vietnam and uh, then they're waiting for people to arrive. They're all just kind of hanging out, just like me and my friends did, like a few dorks. Like we're like, oh, maybe those girls are going to come over. And then they never did. And so we just ended up playing, you know, fucking Mortal Kombat with our one friend who's a girl. <laughs> did we? I don't think we had that friend. Well, no I mean, way. it might have been my sister. <laughs> oh, God. Like, if we had an SNES at my house, it would have been my sister, right? Usually uh, it's like yeah. one of our sisters would be hanging out with us or something, and we'd be expecting mm -hmm. people to come yeah, over. Yeah, sure, sure. Or your sister's friend would be over, and it would be like your sister's friend and me, and then like whoever we had over. Right, yeah. And sometimes like we'd be like, like, we're going to have a party. Apples to apples Yeah, and, and we'd have like six people. So anyway, it's kind of like that, but then all of a sudden everybody shows up in droves. And then the party basically from this point on gets crazier and crazier. Um, people who are obviously not high schoolers show up. Um, they make one character who's like this guy who's like middle-aged. It's like, yeah, I'm just here to party. Let's play beer pong. Yeah. Um, flip cup. Yeah. Anyway, um, it gets bigger and bigger um, to the point where, I don't know, Brady, can you take this for a second? Like I'm okay, um, having trouble I following mean, the train of it. It's a... Uh, I mean, by and large, it's a party movie, so it's a movie of its various moments, and a lot of crazy stuff happens. Uh, a midget gets put in the oven, and then he escapes and starts uh, systematically punching the balls oh of yeah. every person he comes across <laughs> on the way out of the house. You can't imagine how funny it is to watch a midget just punch people in the balls. Yeah, I... I, so I'll be honest, I didn't like the midget in the oven. I wish there had been a more sensitive way to get to a midget punching people in the balls, because that, that was pretty <laughs> funny. That, it, yeah, but I mean, it, man gets hit and groin with football, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, certain things just work. Um, and also there's um, the dog gets tied to a bunch of balloons. Yep. And like, uh, also our main character, Thomas, is very, you know, oh, dude, this is not cool, we can't. Yeah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. To use a word I think I used recently, he's put upon and kind of withdrawn. He, he's our humble character. He's the one that we're supposed to like. And I, I think he actually does a decent enough job underplaying it. I don't know if he has a big future as an actor, but he, uh, I thought he was one of the better elements of the ensemble. Yeah. And then also uh, the other friend is like the fat kid who like dresses snazzy and like, yeah. he, like he's a nerdy guy. He has information, but he doesn't necessarily look the type but he's, he he knows a shit ton about finger banging yeah he he's all like oh there's this motion this motion and actually uh from what he says a couple of those things are correct by the way so pay attention ye young people who have not uh oh, no. pleasured a woman <laughs> i don't think we have any young people listeners but are you telling them to use project x as a bible of behavior no no no, no. just just a couple things he says in there are correct. I'll let people figure out which ones so that, you know, I don't totally so spoil their sex life. some of them do the wrong life. ones because yeah. that will be funny. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, but, you know, if you're 12 and you don't know anything about how to please a woman, uh, there's a couple things in American Pie that are probably not spot on, but, you know, relativistically speaking. And also this movie, there's a couple motions that are correct. Okay, so... Shall we move on with this synopsis? Oh, yes. So anyway, uh, back to the party. Um, after the ecstasy, at one point he like starts making out with Kirby, the girl next door, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, then like at a certain point he goes, ah, man, I got to go back out there because something crazy is going on. Yeah. Like fireworks. And, and when uh, they have that kind of quiet scene that I actually liked, uh, the nice quiet scene of them lying on their backs in the grass, 
that's when Costa is like, no, 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 it's not about like that girl's right. always been yeah, around. Yeah, that's the scene Go I wanted to get thing. to, but I had to bring up the Kirby thing first. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I mean, because yeah, that, yeah. so that's when he tells him he's like, oh, well, I, I kissed. Well, uh, we haven't mentioned that to the v- audience yet. Oh, okay. Okay, so the the scene after that, or shortly thereafter, I think he goes out. Um, after that, he goes out, and he's talking to some people, blah blah blah, and then he ends up hanging out with Kirby again. I think. Right in yeah. the pool, and he's like, "I've already been swimming." Oh no, there is the scene. Okay, so there's a scene where they're all lying on their backs and they're talking about, it. and Costas going like, "You know, he's getting real genuine. He's like, I love you guys. Like, I know every time I'm a dick and I call you fat tits, and like I, you know, I talk about how you guys aren't shit and queens and blah blah blah, but um, you know, I actually do really love you guys. That's just you know the way I am." And then uh, Thomas goes like, "You know, I think I really like Kirby. Like, we kind of made out and." Uh, it was cool. And then Costa goes like, dude, this is about getting the chicks that we couldn't get. And so then at that point, he kind of plants this seed in Thomas's brain of being um, maybe not as interested in Kirby. Yeah. So then after that, he hangs out with Kirby in the pool and blah, blah, blah. And there's another moment of tension where, you know, maybe he's going to go in the pool and they're going to be all in the water together and things are going to happen. But he's like, ah, I don't want to go in the pool. And then that's when we hear... Uh, I heard midget and oven <laughs> because they put a little person in the oven and that's when the little person pops out and starts punching people in the balls. Anyway, so after that, um, then dude's upstairs uh, freaking out kind of a- about how the party's getting bigger and bigger and he gets a text from the really hot chick that they wanted to come who wants him to go do body shots with her, right? So then he goes and does body shots with her and he's like, wow, that was sexy and blah, blah, blah. Um, then no, but but the s- weird thing is, um, it's a bit fragmented in this way. I think the body shots might come. I think they come at before, least like before, like the scene of them of them on their backs. Yeah, and maybe even before him kissing Kirby. So it it is kind of yeah. All over like the place. this guy doesn't know who he's gonna get with, and like his instinct is to get with Kirby. His push from his friends is yeah. To get anytime with he gr- talks to Costa, it's like nope, no, go 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 no, go. You can get with Kirby anytime. Don't worry. <laughs> go, go talk to the girl, the, the right. traditional hot girl. So let's just skip forward to, like, he almost has sex with her, but then Kirby, and it's in Kirby his room. Kirby walks in. Kirby walks in, and then she freaks out. And then after that, that's when the party gets out of control. Uh, Thomas gets, there's this one scene where Thomas is, like, feeling the world kind of crash down upon him because, like, his dad's been calling and saying, like, I've gotten messages about what's going on. What's going on? Call me back, but, you know. And, um... He's kind of like freaking out, and we see him on a rooftop, and we're like, "Oh, is he gonna?" Because you know, there's this feeling, and this this scene really touches on it. Is uh, when you're in high school, this is feeling that this is everything. You know, we see high school kids in pop culture at least kill each other all the like not each other, but kill themselves all the time based on bullying and blah blah blah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just not this understanding that this is not the real world. Right. So anyway. We, when we see him on, on the roof, that juxtaposition immediately jumps into my mind. And then um, his friends come up to greet him and go, like, what's going on, man? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's at that point that the, ch- the crowd below sees him on the roof and starts chanting his name. And then, once again, the dichotomy of, well, I know this is the wrong thing to do. My parents are pissed. Everything's getting destroyed. But this validation that I never got from everybody so much... This feels right, even though it's not the right thing to do. So which is the right thing to do? The right thing or the thing where you get the validation from all these people? 
And the movie mm-hmm. kind of from that point on plays with it. Anyway, he jumps off the thing into the bouncy castle, which deflates. And then his friend does the same after him, but uh, breaks his finger, but manages to not relatively unscathed. There's a little <laughs> there's a little feeling <laughs> at, at a certain point where you're like, oh, shit, is this how this is going to end? Like his friend's going to jump off the thing and die. And that's the end of the party. Like there's kind of a feeling of that there, right? Up, it's up the ante a little bit because the cushion has been. Uh, honestly, no, I I never thought he was gonna get hurt. I, I, I thought logically it was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Uh, but I, I I was unsure, you know. Like at a certain point, I was. This is the nature of this movie: is that as these scenes go on and as things yeah. get crazier bigger and crazier, and you you keep waiting for the crash. Yeah. And uh, the crash actually doesn't ever happen for the most part. It's a conflagration. Uh, at a certain point, the cops come back in force, but there are so many people at this party now, then everybody just riots and protests and be like, cops, go home. And like, you know, it's this rallying cry of, we can do whatever we want. The uh, authority systems that are placed upon us don't mean shit. If we all get on the same wavelength, like no, nothing can stop us. And then after that, yeah. the true chaos ensues when the guy they stole the gnome from the gnome that was filled with ecstasy comes back ex-military vietnam guy with a flamethrower and this is from <laughs> once again like the first seven minutes of the movie so you've kind of forgotten about this guy by this point you've forgotten about the gnome because it's already been smashed but this guy comes back with a flamethrower and the swat teams are trying to get him and it's just huge and then we get this helicopter zoom out of the entire three block radius and it's like, you know, 3,000 people, 2,000 people, something like that, just revel in like complete hedonistic revelry. Smash cut to the next morning. They're on the 50 yard line at their high school, which is kind of something I did actually uh, on grad night, um, late at night. You know, let's not go home yet. <laughs> this was they can't go home. Anyway, um, then smash cut to his dad saying, like, I didn't know you had it in. What, you should weigh in on this scene, I think. Yeah, no, it's uh, basically in that scene, the father is being stern with the son and saying that, you know, <laughs> he's going to have to pay out of his nose for it. But then he also gives him kind of a, a sly, you know, a little fond nudge of I'm I proud didn't, that I didn't you're know you not had a the loser. Shit. Yeah, I didn't know you had <laughs> the shit in you. I wish you wouldn't have destroyed everything when you did it. But yeah, uh, there were that many people here screaming your name. Wow. That's not something I would experience. Like, the dad. I think the dad's just kind of right. like, you're a loser. But then again, that one night, that one act of winning made you more of a winner than most people ever are. But only for that night. Now you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but then the film immediately undercuts that because the next scene is him walking through the high school and the dividends are apparent. Right. In the fact that everybody's like, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you and I both know that he's a senior in high school. And after that... You never see most of those fucking people ever again. That's true. So, I mean, what's th- what's what's the worth of their praise? Anyway, uh, and then it goes from then to he sees Kirby. Kirby's pissed off. He gives Kirby the sentimental speech that would melt any girl's heart and says, like, look, I hope that you're talking to me in a year from now, and I would like to spend my birthday with just you, and I'm sorry about the thing. Because uh, all in all, he actually didn't end up sleeping with the girl. He was going to, but... yeah. She stopped him. <laughs> yeah, she and also, they didn't her. have any commitments or agreements, so... Yeah, no, not um, no one did. Right. But, I mean, like, it hurt me. Yes, I understand. Like, all that kind of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but this, this film kind of lies outside of those 
it's so hedonistic that it lies outside of the idea that a constraint like monogamy could be placed on it in a situation like that. Well, if anything, the weird thing is that it does try to mine tension from that more standard trope of, uh, you know, like, I'm the one you should have been with and why were you with her? But it is so hedonistic that the interesting thing is it never makes that other girl a villain. It never makes her, you know... The bitchy one who's just completely conceited. That's really important. I think we should get into that after What's It All About segment or Hey, 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 How Did You Like It? Sure, yeah. But I think uh, we just hit the last scene. Oh, yeah, because uh, Dax is still film filming it at that point. He looks at the camera and goes, cut. And then there is, like, some titles. A coda that should not have been in. Okay, there's the titles, uh, the typical. Like, this movie is very formulaic. I think there's a lot of things uh, hidden inside it that are outside of the formula, but it chose to go with the formula probably because it's a first-time filmmaker and because it's coming from a you know cliche sort of studio system like the yeah. Phillips machine. It's um, a movie whose uh, anarchic spirit and so hedonism is always at war with its So we get the titles stuff. saying what people do afterwards, and then we get <laughs> a scene with... Um, the, the Who's that? What's the name of the guy again? Miles Teller? No. Oh, no, Jimmy Kimmel. No. The name of the guy that you don't like, who's the fucking bro dude. Oh, Costa. Yeah, uh, we could have seen a Costa, like, um, calling out the chick on the uh, on the thing, going like, no, I don't have any regrets, I don't have any apology. Sugar tits, I want to invite you to my next party. And then, then we get the credits. Right. Right, which uh, <laughs> my friends didn't like. To me, that was kind of like an ancillary Easter egg after the fucking... It's one for the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whatever. Um, so anyway, that's Mail the plot kids. synopsis. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plot synopsis. Um, and we'll be back with our next segment. Uh, hey, 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 how do we like it? Hey, Brady, how did you like this movie? Ooh, okay. I'm, I'm very torn. Um, and I'm sorry, Rob, I, I know this is probably very low for you, but I'm going to give it, I, I specialize in hybrid grades a lot. I like hybrid grades because... I don't know, it just gives you more wiggle room. So I'm giving this the C plus slash B minus. It's it's in between those. It's a movie for me that uh, what I respected was its spirit of anarchy. I respect its iconoclasm and what it's going for. Uh, but the only problem is I don't feel that it explores that with enough depth. So that's more left to hang. And at the same time, it's battling, like you say, with some of the misogyny, some issues of... Uh, you know, I I mean, I I could do without, you know, with hearing the word faggot a little less than the movie says. It's got a bit of the Todd Phillips spirit. I didn't even notice faggot, actually. They say it a few times. Yeah, I'm uh, sure they do, but I mean, like... It's all Costa. Yeah, that's how, like, entrenched in knowing about, like, kind of high school society and the way high school boys are, that, it, like, to me, it just didn't even stand out, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, if there's anything I really don't like, it's kind of the thing with the father where... Like, sort of Phillips's perspective of and the perspective of the movie sometimes veers too much into, like, you should want to be this kind of person. Like, you're vindicated because now you are a popular person, and the best thing to be is a person who has parties and gets invited to parties. So I didn't like that as much, but I liked when the movie just went for the spirit of just complete hellish oblivion of just, like, yes, the biggest explosion of fun. So I like the punk spirit of that, but I didn't like the convention, and that's uh, that's where I am. Well, yes, uh, I I see where you're coming from with that. I I really like this movie. I think so much, and to give it just a solid B, which is relatively high praise from me, I think, yeah, uh, no, for a movie of this type. Um, 
I think the movie, yes, is definitely very safe. It follow it falls very much into the um, the kind of stereotype. It's just like, well, we know we could make a movie about a douchey douchey bro bro who gets his his like less douchey bros to like do his fantasy on something that's not even actually his birthday. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and like that. That's I think that's I think that. Grabs a market, right? And but what I think that this film did inside of that framework, it used that framework because it knew that it would grab the market, and it knew it would grab the right kind of market for the pushing the of the envelope of, of the exponation. Exponation, is that a word? Uh, exponentiation. Exponentiation of the. Uh, I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, the decibel level of the party basically keeps going up and up and up until it reaches fever pitch, way beyond what the viewer could possibly predict from the beginning scenes. Um, and so that's the main baseline of the thing. Let's make it really douchey, douchey, bro, bro to get all the douchey, douchey, bro, bros to go see it because then we'll actually be a success at the box office. And this film was, um, with fairly, a fairly small budget. And, um, well, I guess it wasn't small, but you know, it wasn't huge. So anyway, um, this film also does a bunch of little nuanced things inside of that framework, which, um, and I, I get it. I get using that framework in order to kind of hone your filmmaking talents or whatnot. And whoever made this film, and we should probably look into that and see who it is. Maybe Nima we'll Nurizadeh. All right. So that guy, um, whoever he is. First timer. Right. Pretty much. Um, but the success of this film will allow him to make his next film, which is more nuanced and more, you know, less formulaic and less. Oh yeah. Listen, I mean, I'm not going to write off its director. Uh, and I'm not going to write off the guy who plays Thomas either. I, I'm not going to write anyone off on this. Its problems aren't in how it's made, even though, to be clear, I don't think it's perfectly made. But I think it's made with verve and passion, and that's a good thing that I appreciate. Right. It's not. That's not the issue. The issue is beyond the punk middle finger, which I think has its own intrinsic value. I do. But beyond that, what is it saying, and is all of that positive, or is some of that a bit juvenile? Well, okay, so the whole point that I was saying is that it's not necessarily saying anything, but it has its moments where it says a little something here or there. Yeah, and I like that, but it was it was like every now and then would just kind of glint through. Right, but it was absolutely a necessity for it to actually not be about those moments. Because if you made it about those moments, now you're taking a lot more of a risk than I think the director was willing to take on his first-time film. No, I know. I understand the reasons, and I understand the economic realities, but And I factor that into movie. my grade, so... I can't factor that into my grade. I absolutely do. I mean, to, to me, like, you know... I think they did an excellent job with what they had available to them. I, I think I, I love the idea that every time we see anything, it's qualified because it's either Dax shooting it or it's on a cell phone cam. And I think that really has a lot to say about our, our society now. Is, you know, like they made this movie where basically if you wanted to use somebody else's perspective, you would use their perspective because everybody has a camera on them now. Right. No, no, I, I can appreciate that. And, and also uh, there was the time with the dog being tied to the balloons, being dragged up. Like, we see that shot, and then it cuts to her pulling her cell phone away from her face. So, obviously, that shot was on a cell phone. And it does a really good job of qualifying that. I think that was a huge thing uh, for it to be able to do to justify its low-budgetness, you know? Right. And also the fact that it used that trope so effectively, we 
unless you, of course, saw the marketing or any preview, apparently, which I did not before I saw this film. But it it leads you astray from the fact that it could possibly get as huge and as fever pitch as it as it does. Yeah, and I, and I like that idea. What I like about it in this context is there's nothing earth-shattering about the idea itself. There have been other movies that have done it. It's the way it's done that I did very much like. Uh, it was fun to watch the escalation. Yeah, and and that's all it was. It's a very simple movie, um, and it was a very safe movie. Like the guy wasn't taking any risks here, right? It's really easy to make a misogynist like high school film because you'll definitely get like the white male teen crowd fine. And actually, most white male teen females will not see anything wrong with it. It's not until you get to college and you start to, to dissect the kind of heteronormative patriarchy that you would be like that's really misogynist well i mean but that would be the problem if this is a movie that did well at the box office on the backs of 14 year old boys where it stands on the misogyny line is important for the influence it has right but i don't think that uh whatever influence you'll have you're not going to change the mind of 14 year old boys no i know uh, but you know you you gotta I don't know. It's always a slippery slope. Like I don't, I don't like to morally judge a movie too much, but movies say things, so we at least need to take into account what it is they're saying. Yeah, and I really don't think that the misogyny was a statement. I think it was just a safe place to no, come I mean, from. Don't let me overstate it too much. It's just it kind of is. There's a little bit of homophobia and misogyny that peeks out every now and then, and then there's a little. But bit that's of exactly what high school was like. And that's right. what exactly what high school is like. I mean, like the idea of the just the idea of homophobia doesn't e- that's not even in your vernacular in high school. Like it's just like this is just how dudes act in the locker room, man. Right. Right. No, I know. So uh, well, I think it's total slow. I think it's total non-acknowledgement of that actually acknowledges it. Well, I mean, it's it's the thing that uh, to me Spring Breakers was able to clear. This movie is a little bit closer to that hurdle. It's really playing. Well, Spring with Breakers the line. is totally different because it gives, um, it gives agency to the females throughout the entire. They they're the ones who drive the story forward. And this we almost have, almost zero named female characters. But there's a lot of them on the screen. There's more yeah. of them than there are men. Like here's the, here's something, both movies do this thing where they present unjudgmentally a little bit present youth culture, but also or maybe also uh, allowing us to bring in our own critiques. And I liked Spring Breakers because it it didn't judge. This movie where I'm wavering is, I think it's great about presenting youth culture, but I'm not clear if it's endorsing its more uh, unhealthy attitudes. I can't tell where it's endorsing and where it's not, which I guess at least makes it a movie to wrestle with. I mean, I think it's very clear on, well, fuck that, fuck this. Like, what do you think is healthy? What do you think I should be doing? I think it's very, I, that's the thing that it's got going for it. It's not endorsing or not endorsing it because it says, fuck the the presupposition that we're supposed to be healthy or good kids or blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and you know what? I like that when the target is uh, convention and, you know, adult ideas of what's proper behavior. It's just a little squickier when the target seems to be women. Well, yeah, that's just because we live in a patriarchy. I know, but I know, I know that's no, this that's the Uroboros. No, but it really shouldn't be more because of the fact that it's women. Just the idea that it feels like more. It's just that's the coloring of our culture. 
It's important right. to note. Yeah, no, I, at the very least, I think it's uh, certainly a vibrant youth culture uh, document. Well, I think we're bleeding into what's it all about here. So uh, you gave it a B. Uh, I gave it a C plus. B I mean, I gave it a B. You gave it a C plus B minus. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to our next segment. All right. Hey, 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 what's it all about? What's it all about? What is this film all about, Brady? What's it all about? I think this is where you run into problems with this film. Um, Yeah, no, because where I run into problems with this film is that this film half is a film that where you can actually say what it's about, and it's half just a, an affirmation of maybe squickier, uh, more retro-regressive kind of attitudes. Uh, you know, the kind of stuff you find in high school, and yes, it's true to life, but also it's a bit, you know, it's discomforting, uh, the misogyny kind of thing. Uh, but what it's all about, because what it's all about is what a film's best intentions are and the stuff that comes through. So... What this is to me, at least, that I do like is kind of uh, its own little punk blast. Like uh, a movie I watched recently from Czechoslovakia from the 60s called Daisies is total Dadaism with these two uh, two beautiful Czechoslovakian women just running around and like creating havoc. And so I think there's value in a piece of cinema that's just a big middle finger, a big blast of iconoclasm, rattling the system, shaking the boat. And so, yeah, at its best, I think it's a film about that, about shaking off conventions. It's just unfortunate that it happens to exist within so many of them. I, I would say that this film really isn't about much, right? It's a very stereotypical story that just goes from point A to point B to point yeah, C. Yeah, I mean, that's it's mostly... in its execution, which makes it an entertaining film. I mean, we know what the plot is. Right, yeah, we know this plot. Dude, Dude's kind of a dork. Dude has a um, girl-next-door kind of figure. Um... Dude goes to a party or throws a big party or, you know, gets a sudden, you know, flare of popularity. Is able to get, like, the item girl, basically. Right. And then, uh, basically, him and the girl next door character always end up professing their love for each other. And they go off together and he realizes being popular ain't really a big deal. And... This uh, yeah. so that's that's that's, that's the model. That that's a very that stereotypical feels model. So glued on to everything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a model that they just made to make the movie marketable because it's his first film and they wanted to keep it safe. They know that if they stay within that constraint, that the movie won't rub people really the wrong way. Yeah. So I now we get to practice with our execution of this matter. And I really love the idea of bringing it to the fever pitch. The reason we're doing this film actually right after it, because uh, Spring Breakers is the same thing. And the way that this film um, is shot by Dax and cell phone cameras and whatever, every every shot you see is qualified by who is shooting it. Um, and that's a very indie kind of way of making And you could see mm -hmm. how it would be cheaper um, to shoot it that way. So this leads us to believe that it's not going to go as far as it does because we don't think that there's as much of a budget, and we think this is a clever way of using this minimal budget at the beginning, and then at the end, we realize, oh, there is a budget, and they can do all this kind of stuff. Right. Same thing with String Breakers. They do a lot of scenes, and they just cut back and forth between them and make this really visceral kind of tone poem thing. Right. And it's like, here's a segment where it's definitely narrative, and now here's a segment where we're just like, swatching this shit in to remind you kind of the feelings of these girls and so forth and so on. Right. And so when you see that, you're like, that's a really good way to get around not having too much of a budget. 
But then by the end, we realized, nope, they have the makeup budget, they have the gun budget, they have the they have the right. fucking budget. I mean, here's so it's, it it mirrors that, and like Spring Breakers mirrors this film in that way. I don't know if they had any influence on each other whatsoever, um, but I they're very much so. of the same type. I think it's remarkable that either of those films even got noticed as as wild and woolly as they are. I don't think Project X really did. Oh, I mean, it made money though, and so did Spring Breakers. Yeah, they both like <laughs> it's it's really weird to. Think about kids going to these these very bizarre uh, party fests. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, okay, I love the editing in Spring Breakers. And Project X is a very editing-centric movie. But to kind of paraphrase uh, from Jimmy Fallon's character in Almost Famous, their editor needed an editor. Because somewhere in here, if you cut away some of the more standard stuff, I think it's probably a really cool movie about flying your freak flag. Yeah, maybe. Um, I really think that this movie is mostly about um, the filmmaker. Dax? Or the director himself? Well, the director himself through Dax. So you think he's getting out, he's purging his demons of repression? Well, Dax is a really ancillary character to the thing. But um, we do understand the fact that Dax does not, not take part in the debauchery that they're going through. Yes, yeah, says no, he doesn't I drink. I don't drink alcohol. That um, Dax doesn't have anywhere to be because he doesn't have parents. He lives on his own. He's very independent. And somehow, for the most part of the movie, this this character is very sober, responsible character who they kind of make a joke out of him at the end, which is silly because uh, I thought it was actually really poignant up until that part. Um, oh, it's, remind it's, me what they do. Oh, they say like, oh, uh, Jax is uh, Dax is being questioned and into the disappearance of his parents. He oh, still lives yeah. alone. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like you just fucking detracted. Is that a poor taste goth joke? I I think that's what it is. Once again, this movie is falling back on the stereotypes in order to be marketable because it wants I to know. be safe as it its ends first with film. the word sugar tits. Right, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> there's something to be said for it's really great to have. The cameraman acknowledged in the first maybe 25 seconds of the film um, us to be this outsider character who's being traveled around, traveling around with all these other people. And for basically every shot to be qualified, even private moments, like the private moment of the dad telling the mom, like there's no way that Dak should be seeing that. But yeah. he is because he's us and he's like, and the idea that he's an outside, like that's really important. Um, to me, and I think that was, th- it's almost like one of those things that's, that's the idea for the film, and then they kind of shoehorned that idea, which is a great idea, into the stereotypical box, because it would be safe, as far as my first film, I'd rather be safe than great, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, who am I to judge that, but, but the film is the film, as we say, and well, that's what you what say. the film is. I say... Because whenever I'm watching a film, like, <laughs> like I thought we both agreed to say that. No, <laughs> no, but you you understand? Like I said, I said this during Spring Breakers when we took like a little break. I was like, mm-hmm. man, they really push you on that thing that where you don't think that they have any budget. Yeah, and I I like that. Yeah, I do like that. But I mean, like for instance, so I'm thinking about that when I'm watching the film. So it's not just the film as a whole. The circumstances around how it was made and how it looks like what it was made or or what it looks like or, um, oh, man, that guy probably only had one camera, so that's why everything's so cutty or stuff like that. Um, 
that's that's all part of it for me. And I kind of factored that into my my ranking and understanding of the film because uh, film viewing is as much about filmmaking as filmmaking is about filmmaking. Mind blown. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I see, man, I see. So, yeah, do we want to take a little break? That might have seemed like that comment made no sense, but I'm going to say it again because it absolutely makes perfect sense. Film viewing is about filmmaking just as much as filmmaking is about filmmaking. So, are we saying that film viewing is about constructively analyzing frame composition and how... Because are we saying that one should actively be deciding how they would make the film while they watch the film? No, but one should always actively take into account how that must have been done in order to create the effect that it did. Oh, and yeah, sure. Whether or not it could have been done better or whether or not um, maybe it seems like their budget was prohibitive or something like that. Well, yeah, and the better we like are about seeing those things, the more kind of interesting and morphy our film viewing gets, and, and that's totally a good thing. Yeah. And also what you said about creating a shot composition and See, interpreting a shot composition this is though, the same. Th before, okay, I want to say this, and then, then we'll take a break, but there's this line, this very nebulous line that I don't like to cross, where, you know, when you're watching a film, I think you should only go so far in trying to judge the film based on how you would have made it. Because you want to allow the film to be itself. The film is itself. No, no, it's not how you would have made it. It's just that you acknowledge how they had to make it. Or, right. Or that they made it. But, you know, I've had way. conversations with people where we get too close to this line of like, well, what I would have done is I would have had this person say this, and I would have completely rewritten this, and I would have taken this plot out entirely, and uh, suddenly we're not looking at Project X, we're looking at Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, well, Lawrence of Arabia is a great movie, but you need to judge Project X when you're watching Project X. So right, I'm and I think I am, but what I'm talking about is like... Oh, no, I'm not I'm saying looking you are. At this, Yeah, I'm looking at this and going, like, the filmmaker obviously did this for a reason. Like, if anyone would be doing that, it's me, because I'm not as warm on the film as you. Like, oh, well, maybe if you change this and that. Uh, so I think there's... No, I'm not even saying maybe if you change this and that. I'm just saying that, like, if you see something and you go, like, well, that's kind of odd. Why is everything shot from first person? Oh, wait, that's actually kind of cool. And do they take the care to actually stick with it? Yes. Okay, well, that's an excellent trope then, because they took the care to stick with it. If if uh, they did that thing, and so many films do shit like that, like they'll have Dax the cameraman in the first scene, but then after that, they'll just like drop the fact that every shot needs to be, you need to explain where it came from, because this is, theoretically, this film is pieced together from many, many, many different sources of people who were all there that day. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's something that, uh, until I just said that just now, we've kind of overlooked. Oh, well, okay, yeah. If we didn't say it before, this is very much a found footage movie. But, I mean, it's not. It's obviously shot and contrived and built to look like a found footage movie. Well, yeah, obviously it's not really. A, this is not real. It's not a documentary. There's yeah, no it's, real it's, found it's footage. not a documentary. There's no real found footage. But the uh, footage we do see is meant to be found footage. Yeah, no, th well, that's what a found footage movie is, is... Uh, you know, Chronicle, the superhero movie, recently took this trail as well of pretending that all of this... Blair Witch is the big one that kicked it off, I or, feel like. Well, no, or even Citizen Kane. E oh, well, I guess it's not found, is that found footage. footage. Well, it's all, it's all uh, telling back 
Yeah. It, it's found narrative. Found narrative. Right, okay. because like theoretically there wasn't a movie camera in that room. Right. But the reporter has talked to somebody who told them that story. So it's found narrative. As if, so like that story was told directly to the film reporter who then, and now we see it in the terms of film. Right. Because if, if there had been a cameraman in Citizen Kane at his death, then some reporter would have been like, I found out Rosebud was his slug. He had a pet slug named Rosebud. Yeah, Pay was, me for this information. I was filming him this entire his entire life just because I thought he might be a great man someday. Sounds like he says sled, not slug. I was there. Yes. Anyway, uh, I think we kind of covered what it's all about, but uh, I want to talk more. All right, well, let's we'll, go on a we'll, break. We'll, yeah, let's go do understudy and then uh, collect our thoughts. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway, so... Try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. So, you're the kid who sent me those articles from the school newspaper. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing some of this stuff from an underground paper also. What are you, the star of your school? They hate me. You'll meet them all again in their long journey to the middle. Your writing is damn good. It's just a shame you missed out on rock and roll. It's over. Over? It's over? You got here just in time for the death rattle. Last gasp. Last grope. At least I'm here for that. What do you type on? Smith Corona Galaxy's Deluxe. And you like Lou Reed? The early stuff and his new stuff, he's trying to be Bowie. I mean, he should just be himself, man. You take drugs? No. Smart kid. I used to do speed, you know? And sometimes a little cough syrup. I'd stay up all night, just writing and writing. I mean, like pages of dribble. You know about the faces of Coltrane. You know, just to fucking write. All right, it's been nice to meet you. Keep sending me your stuff. I can't stand here all day talking to my many fans. I understand. You know, because once you go to L.A., you're going to have friends like crazy. But they're going to be fake friends. They're going to try to corrupt you. You've got an honest face, and they're going to tell you everything. But you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Well, everybody's pregnant, so it's okay if I just... If you're going to be a true journalist, you know, a rock journalist... First, you never get paid much, but you will get free records from the record company. Jesus, fucking nothing about you is controversial. Man, God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to fly you places for free, offer drugs. And I know it sounds great, but these people are not your friends. These are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. And they will ruin rock and roll. And strangle everything we love about it, right? And then it just becomes an industry of cool. I'm telling you, you are coming along in a very dangerous time for rock and roll. That's why I think you should turn back. Go back. Be a lawyer or something. But I can tell from your face that you won't. And I can give you 50 bucks and give me 500 words on Black Sabbath. 
and sign me. You have to make your reputation. I'm being honest. And, you know, unmerciful. Honest. Unmerciful. If you ever everybody get into a jam, pregnant. Yes, everybody's pregnant. That said, if you ever get into a jam, you can call me. I stay up late. Thank you. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y cow. Um, so what else we got? You want to talk about specific scenes? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've been speaking thematically so far, and uh, I don't know, what's your favorite scene in this movie? Ooh, I don't know. That's a hard thing to reckon. Um, I like the progression of scenes. I like the fact that at the end it's so crazy, and at the beginning it's, you know, who with the whatnot, whatever. Um... Except for they just give us this little that little spurt at the beginning of with the uh, old psycho Vietnam man, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, let me say this here because uh, th- this isn't going to be a thing. But my least favorite favorite stuff is the stuff in the beginning. That's that's the stuff where like it's got the most expository dialogue for one. It's really just got to get that shit out though. Yeah, no, I understand. And it does an excellent job of getting that shit out. Like basically setting the stage within five minutes and, and getting the introductory stuff out within 12 and then guests start to arrive at the party. But the so opening, that's really economically done. And I like that. I mean, it's, it's weird to talk about it in this way. Cause it's, it's not like an actor vehicle. Um, but, but the characters become, more nuanced as the film goes on. I feel like they're more cardboardy before the party, if you I can believe it. I feel it. like there's not really hardly any nuance to the characters at all, which I'm fine with, because that's not that's not what this movie yeah, is. Yeah, they're drawn in broad lines, but I bought them more within the party. Yeah, to me it just uh, it it's tropey, and I'm fine with that. And yeah. I wasn't I'm not looking for acting, like in a film like this. I can tell from the first shot. Of how like indie it is that I shouldn't look for acting and I should just set that aside and judge the film on its other merits. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's you know it's always a sliding scale. Like so. I, I very, I, I, I don't, I don't really ever look for acting. Actually, if acting finds me, if acting hits me, cool. But like really, I'm just looking at how the film is made and how it's put together and the skill at the visual storytelling. Like if I didn't hear a word. Would this film still impact me? If yes, well, then that director did a fucking great job at making a moving picture, like a series of moving picture that told a story. Right, yeah, yeah. There are, there are a variety of criteria, and you can take them all into account. And well, I, but, I, like, if acting's great, cool. I get really excited about it. But if it's not, I just ignore it and just look at the pictures. No, yeah, I, it's not even as much about acting as it is about the dialogue they're given. It's about the characters don't need to be Marlon Brando, but they need to feel relatable and likable to an extent. Well, I don't think they need to be. I don't I don't particularly like any of these characters, but I do relate to them because I knew them all in high school. I knew people just like this, like each and every one of the few characters. Right, right. So that's the whole point of them. They just need to be archetypes that we go. Yep, I know that guy. But the problem is sometimes I bristle at archetypes. I mean, the right. But this is the film where they need to be there. I, th- we they need to be archetypes. Because my favorite performance of the main three is our main man Thomas. I our mean, main man Thomas. It's not even really a a performance. It's just 
It's just being there and reacting to the situation. Yeah. And it's not a performance. It's just an archetype that's the, the reactionary straight guy who fucking doesn't really want to be in this, but wants the benefits that come out of it. Yeah. Well, what worked for me with him was that he did the least. Like, he suggested his archetype uh, without, you know, relying too much on the acting. Well, I think all the archetypes are suggested automatically by the writing. Yeah, but Costa says a lot. He's not suggested. Right, but by the that's by the writing. That's not by the acting. Well, it, it's both. It's both. I, I don't really think that you could have acted those lines any other way. Well, the thing I'm unclear on is how much is improvised. Oh, I think it was a straight script written. Okay. I might be wrong. I, I, I don't know. Like, that was my assumption from watching it. Anyway, that's just the opening. Let's get to the party. Oh, we were only talking about the opening? I was talking about the entire Oh, thing. no, no. I was saying, I was saying that my least things. favorite parts were the opening because that's oh, right, right. when the, the thing needs a bit of wind under it because, yeah, if you look at it too closely, it's not built of master class actors. It needs that momentum, that kick to start going, and that's when it becomes the most interesting to me. Okay, so at what point do you think it actually gets the kick? Is it when all the chicks show up to the party? Yeah, it's when the party starts. Well, well what about the scene? That, that, what What's with that little tease of almost like an action sequence with the uh, Vietnam man chasing the car? Honestly, I, I wasn't a big fan of that scene. I, I think it's just uh, party movies geared toward the adolescent 14-year-old set like to have lots of random spurts of violence. Kids find randomness funny. Like, sudden like bursts of violence just crack them up. Well, I, okay, here's the reason I think that was there, which is, like, even if this didn't have the big climactic, super fucking heavy thing that it does at the end, mm-hmm. um, just having a little bit of that at the beginning is... Um, Oh, okay. And in, in the actual real world film, the way this film plays out, it's foreshadowing. But other than that, it's it almost like hits the most surreal point. Like up until that point you'd be like, We're gonna show you this crazy scene where the Vietnam man like breaks their windshield and you know, uh kind of a horror movie aesthetic where like we think right. we've gotten away from him and then T one thousand. Yeah, and he runs into the car again. Um so you look at that and you're like, well, that's kind of like a typical high school story. Like everybody's had their friend be like, and then the cop chases around the parking garage. But then we went up one floor and he just kept going down and then we escaped, you know, and they talk it up like that scene is much like a story of somebody trying to really seem badass, much like Costa does through the entire movie. Really like that's the whole thing about Costa is he's trying to seem awesome all the time. And then somehow through just sheer force of will, he achieves it. Anyway, um, that's what that scene is like. Well, okay, can I say one quick thing on, like, I think what maybe my real problem boils down to is I liked the movie abundantly more as the party started to kick into gear, and part of that was that... Well, that's when it starts to talk. Yeah, it, well, it starts to talk, but also part of that was it kind of found time to strip some of the dialogue away and just find natural rhythms between the characters that felt real. And, like, so even though I know this is about an apocalyptic party, it's not real. I get that. But it had notes of, you know, realness to the characters. And I think that scenes like that one with the Vietnam man going aggro 
kind of undercut that. They feel too, uh, I don't know, too sticky to me. Because uh, what, when what I really liked was the realness of the teen emotions contrasted against the bigness of the party. That's what I like about this movie. Hmm. Yeah. I guess so. I, I. It's just, it's what we're talking about. It's just a standard thing in these movies. You have to give the kids something. They like manic okay. action. I don't. I don't like the realness of the emotions against. Like I felt that was just part of the stereotypical plot stuff. Is like, and then he starts to feel conflicted, and maybe he's doing the wrong thing for his parents, and blah blah blah. Oh no, I'm not talking. About, I'm not talking about that or the girl. I'm talking about like. As it went along, I, and I think this is hugely to the movie's credit, they made the friendship feel real. Like, I could kind of see, you know, a reason to emotionally invest in the three guys and their friendship. Yeah, okay. So there's that, and then there's also um, what I was just saying is, like, I was saying it kind of disparagingly, but to its credit, at the same time, um, the way the emotions uh, play out kind of lead to the sense of, your life as it is when you're in high school is your life, and when, when <laughs> if you're not popular, or if you're not this that, or if you're not king of the high school, like that's where you're gonna be for the rest of your life. I need to break this cycle. I need to break loose of this, which is very much like this. This film, unfortunately, okay. I think the okay. Here's the deal. I, I got it. I got. I got. I got the way to figure this out and compare it to Spring Breakers. All right, lay it on me. Put it all together. This film is good. It's very much in the same vein as Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers is great. It's very much in the same vein as this film. Spring Breakers' message is carpe diem. This film's message is YOLO. Oh, God, YOLO. So basically, it's like, you know, it's carpe diem for slightly less evolved filmmaker slash film watcher. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, I, I get it. Like, I, I see that, because they both, you're right, they both are kind of this almost American dreamy, like, this is what we want. We want a big party. What's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, we want to fucking tear the system down, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, like, for that, it's, like, it's pointless, and he's basically pissed away most of his life, or, like, you know, the next ten years of his life for one night. Whereas Spring Breakers is, like... Yeah, but we can think of that one night that was great. We can make that last forever if only we try. Right. Right. So, like, one has a little more virtuous, long-lasting effect to it. This one's like, yep, you did it. YOLO. Great. Now you're fucked for ten years. Enjoy, motherfucker. So, what happens to at the end? What, remind me what happens <laughs> Well, his dad end. just goes like, your college fund's gone, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm impressed that you got all these people here, and you, which is kind of like, yeah, YOLO. But uh, you're still fucked, right? <laughs> Where Spring Breakers right. is kind of like they're going to drive off into the sunset and uh, do whatever the fuck they feel like it, live fast, die young. And this is like, yeah, you're popular till the end of high school, which is in, what, three months? So you're fucked. To yeah. feel good for three months, and now you're going to realize there's a whole different world out there. Now, tell me this. Um, do you feel like... You could have done without the father character. Um, I feel like we needed to have that first five minutes. I I wish he hadn't been like as like. Yeah, we didn't need the scene where he, where he, like he like said where he said like he's a loser, right? But um, there is a certain amount of triumph in the idea that he gets like 
this begrudging respect from his father. Like, yeah, no, you I, did I something like I would have never done, and blah blah blah. And, and I really think that you need all the scenes in order to set that up. So, yeah, unless you're going to cut out the character entirely, but you really need him to be that uh, kind of domineering, live up to force who is calling him because that that really increases the tension on the character and creates like this sort of um, ethereal. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, tension that's wholly impressed upon by the viewer's just um, knowledge of the fact that this film fits into stereotype and that you see a guy on a rooftop and the stereotypical thing to say is he's going to jump. Right? Yeah, but I, I never thought he was going to commit suicide in oh, front of well, his party guest. But, I mean, I looked at it like that. Like, I, I looked at it like maybe that's what could happen. I just thought of it as like, you know, big dramatic scenes, uh, crisis of conscience, all that shit happen in dramatic locations. The roof is kind of. But with the shit like with with the party reaching this inflammatory peak and every every time you're watching it, you're like, okay, well, that's the peak. And so we're going to have our falling action now. And then you go like, well, what's the event that's going to cause the falling action? And uh, the, the film really plays with that, in which case it doesn't give you that event. It kind of just all peters out eventually when everybody runs like fuck and we fade to the 6 a.m. scene of them on the 50-yard uh, line. Mm-hmm. But um, so the fact that it's playing with that really gives you the sense that anything could happen at any point in time. Like, because you keep going like, oh, we need to squelch this shit fast because there's no way they can pu- they can up the ante anymore. And they do a really good job leading you to believe that, that no, this is the peak. Oh, wait, no, just kidding. Oh, wait, no, just kidding. They do that so well that when he goes up on the roof and a high schooler who feels like his life is over because his parents are so, like, just facing his parents is such a crazy prospect, uh, especially at that time, like, high in ecstasy, like, house is burning, <laughs> like, you know, that, yeah, he could jump, like, I could see myself jumping, like, if I was in that situation and, like, just, like, three blocks, three square blocks were burning, and it was just like I'm gonna be in so much trouble, and like if I was yeah. if I was 17, I would just be like, yeah, why not just end this shit by jumping off the roof? But the neighborhood's not quite on fire at that point. This is just when the news I know, cameras but, arrive. But yeah, just like the news cameras arriving and and the phone calling and blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean they're no longer gonna keep it under wraps. Yeah, n- yeah, no longer is this a situation that you can get out of it. It's you're fucked. Like you're fucked. He knew he was fucked. Congratulations, boys. You just made the papers. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it really plays with that. And I, I got the feeling the first time I watched it, and even the second time, um, that he could jump off the roof. And then right, a- right after that, they play with that with, like, well, now he's just deflated the bouncy castle. His friend could accidentally kill himself. Like, you're just looking for the way that this is going to end. And, like, they kind of tease those things a little bit, which I thought was good. Because, obviously, you didn't see that, and I did. So it's nuanced enough that it's not, like over uh heavy-handed but you know i mean yeah because why the the reason that doesn't quite work for me is this film is never quite like a sinister film with traces of uh, mirth and kind of you know fun poking through it's the opposite mostly it's fun with occasional anxiety at a certain point in time there's a guy with a flamethrower like possibly murdering people but it's but this movie you don't think he's murdering people. It's too much fun. It's too uh, jocular and fun. And, like, it's supposed to be a rousing romp. 
a surreal romp, but a romp, I think. Yeah, but I mean, conceivably, some like okay. have you seen a movie where it's like that, and then all of a sudden, like everything gets real, and then it's the fucking end of the movie. I'm sure I have. I'm sure. Yeah, I there's have. several movies like that. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. I mean, like, I guess Spring Breakers is kind of like that. Like, shit gets real at the end. They go to shoot a bunch of people. Right. But Spring Breakers is always dark. I mean, Spring Breakers... It's not like, dark at the beginning. But it always feels um, alien in a way that's acknowledges fun, but is never quite having fun. It's It's very kind of just like, this is a bizarre place. But in this movie, I feel like we are on the side of the characters that, like, yeah, they, they need to let steam off. They need to have fun and be free. They're trapped under their parents' thumbs. And so it's so fun that I just, you know, I guess it's all subjective, but I never felt that they were in physical danger. Right. But, I mean, like, you really don't know where it's going, so they could easily just do a right turn on you. And the That's movie's true. Fucking it's crazy. not that it's out of the realm. It, it's certainly right. I, I felt like, like they teased it. That's fair. I feel like that's, that's a fair. trope of indie indie film, mostly because in indie film you get a lot more of the situations where people are shooting it and they've gotten up to a certain point and now they've run out of budget and so now they just have to like kill one of the characters and be like, oh, so sad he died. What fucking hard star buzz, man. Que lastima. Yeah, and then that's the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. No. No. Like, I, I know. That's an indie film thing, and this movie is very much presented as 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 if it's an indie movie, and then by the end it gets to blockbuster standards. Right. Right. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week, let's see. Hmm. Let me suggest something that I want to see again. I. You know what? I really want to see uh, stories we tell again. I'm going to suggest that stories we tell. I don't know. I feel like we've kind of gotten on a recent roll and we need to reach back a little bit. Okay. You haven't seen Chinatown? Uh, no, I have not. We should probably do Chinatown. Okay. Uh, you got another one? What, like a, another suggestion? older one? Su- no, I mean just another suggestion. Like you really want to do stories we tell? That's from this year. It's a documentary, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I th- really think we should do Chinatown. What else do you think we should do? Your turn. Go. Oh, okay, another one. Um, the other one I think we should do is, yeah, I'll stick documentary, uh, Grizzly Man. Uh, no, definitely not Grizzly Man. Okay. Why, have you seen it? <sighs> kind of. Kind of? How do you kind of watch Grizzly Man, one of the great works of the great Werner Herzog? I mean, I've seen pieces, and i also seen pieces of that cave paintings one. Rob, I was even a guest on one of your understudies, and yet I received no note and no swag bag. You also received no guests to people who believed it might possibly be you. I was led to believe that I would be gifted with a bag of chocolate-covered blueberries, as so many other guests had received. Oh, Werner, that's obviously not a thing that's going to happen. I mean, if there were chocolates, I would just eat them. (laughs) Rob's house is good. Sometimes. Okay, well, so so I've suggested two. By the way, you Rob just finished two? the last episode of uh, House today. Was it sad? Was it funny? Spoilerful podcast, everybody. Uh, he uh, fakes his own death. Okay, like Dexter? No. Not like Dexter. 
He fakes his own death in order to be free of prison so that he can ride off into the sunset on motorcycles with Wilson. I thought Wilson was dead. No. Wilson's not dead. He has cancer. Oh, okay. He's going to die. And House's choice is to fake his own death or to go to prison for six months. You and then Wilson, I can't save Wilson will be dead when he gets out of prison, so he simply can't do that, so he fakes his death, much like the late, great Sherlock Holmes. And then... Well, interesting. All right, do you have a second movie choice? Yeah, what's your second? My second was Grizzly Man. <sighs> He's fucking sticking with John... What, are you a Doc hater? Do you hate Doc? No, I don't hate Doc. I was trying to think of a cool Doc. Okay, Pink Floyd the Wall. Okay. Pink Floyd the Wall. Yeah. Okay, so now so we have... So my two are Pink Floyd the Wall or what I said first, which was... Uh, what you said first was Chinatown. Oh. And yours are... Stories We Tell and Grizzly Man. Documentaries. I think both. it's got to be Chinatown, huh? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, take me inside your head. Well, I mean, I just look at all those together and went like, yeah, we should do Chinatown. Stories we tell is great. I mean, we should pr- I mean if we're not going to do Chinatown, obviously we're doing Pink Floyd the Wall. <laughs> so both my oh god you can't even give me the illusion that one of my well, choices I, was in second look, place i'm just gonna rank the four of them right yeah not rank them <laughs> let me hear this okay the ranking is chinatown then pink floyd the wall then stories we tell and then grizzly man I, I feel you in chinatown i almost guarantee you that pink floyd the wall is not as good a movie as the other two well, I'm not picking up which one's the good one. I'm just picking up what we should do on this um, podcast. All right. Chinatown, then. Well, wait, what's your ranking? My ranking would be... Um, let's see. My ranking would be Grizzly Man, Chinatown, Stories We Tell, Pink Floyd, The Wall. All right. So Chinatown is the one that ranks highest. Has the most highest aggregate points. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll do, we'll so do we'll do Chinatown. Chinatown. All right, everybody else, you have a good time waiting for us to do Chinatown. And if you haven't seen this movie and you listen to this, dude, you should have fucking watched the movie before you listen to this. Um, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. For now, theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. <laughs>